Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to wake you up to the fact that we are at war. Anybody feel like they're at war right now? Only two folks feel like, all right, three, four, all right, I thought so. I just want to make sure. I didn't think I was the only one. Uh, we are in the middle of a war. It, it, the only time uh, that you're not in a war is, is uh, actually when you're asleep because then you don't recognize that you're in a war. Every waking moment, you ought to recognize that you are smack dab in the middle of a war. Ecclesiastes tells us that there's a time for everything, a time for peace, but there's also a time for war, and I believe that we can say with clarity and assurance that we are in the middle of a war. We're surrounded by that. And yet, for some reason, we're kind of in the situation, I think, most of us, like what this man said. He said, we have lost our militant mindset. Let that sink in a second, because, you know, we are in the Lord's army, right? Okay, we used to sing a song about that in children's church. Anybody ever learned that in booster band? We, you know, we had all the, I can still remember it, and, and we'd get up there and sing that. I think somehow from the time we were five until we grew up, we forgot that we were in the army. Fortunately, they don't make us get a buzz cut and, and go out and climb obstacle courses because most of us couldn't do that anyway, but, but we are in an army. And he said, we've lost our militant mindset, and so we've lost ground. And the wherewithal to train, Passion University, to prepare, Passion University, arm and engage in warfare. We have become the comical but deadly sight of the man who brings a knife to a shootout. See, we're in a shootout. And if we aren't armed appropriately, if we aren't trained appropriately, then we show up at the battle and we're not equipped to win. Oh, y'all are quiet this morning, but that's the truth. See, we've got to change our mindset, and we've got to get shaken from our slumber and from the assumption that everything out there is for our good and that everybody loves us. Has anybody discovered yet over the, last of the, the course of the last two weeks that not everybody loves you? Not everybody is out to do you good, and not everybody wants to pat you on the back and applaud for you and get pom-poms and cheer for you. Not everybody is your friend. We need to wake up to that fact because if we're not awake, then we won't recognize the truth, which is this. The enemy has assigned certain things and certain people to destroy us. And so we have to be alert. And so I told you that we cannot become comfortable with our enemy. We tolerate our enemy too much today. We get comfortable with our enemy because, you remember why, our enemy appeals to us. It is attractive. That's why the enemy shrouds it in a field of light where it looks good and we like it and we're attracted to it and we go to sleep to the fact that that thing is trying to destroy us. It's like the frog in the boiling water. You don't put a frog in boiling water and he'll stay there. He'll jump right out. But if you put a frog in a pot of water and you slowly raise the heat, he will sit right in that pot until he boils to death because he's become comfortable with his enemy. And some of you, your enemy started out lukewarm and it was comfortable and it appealed to you. But as you go through life, the heat is being raised in your life. And now that enemy is beginning to de devastate you because it appealed to you in the beginning. And now you've discovered it's destroying you. And so I encouraged you 
that we have to kill what was designed to kill us. What have you not destroyed in your life that's destroying you? And so we talked about that. I, I, I told you that in order for us to defeat our enemy, we must be wiser than our enemy. The Bible clearly states Jesus says that we should live our life in such a manner that we're wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we've got to use the brain that God gave us. And so we said last week that in order to be intelligent, what we must understand is that our enemy wants to get close to us. Because if the enemy can get close to us, it can strike a devastating blow. Something somebody says that you don't know and that you don't care about does nothing to you. But the enemy that positions itself in your life real tight, real close, their words are painful and it can destroy you. So we've got to see enemies close to us. We must understand that that we cannot live our lives. If we're going to live wise, we cannot live our lives paranoid or untouchable. We are called to reach out to people, and that means that we expose ourselves to pain, and we expose ourselves to hurt, and we expose ourselves to betrayal. We have to live wise, but we can't reach, we can't stop reaching out. And I told you that Jesus said that the enemy would try to get close to us by wolves dressing up like sheep. Anybody run into a wolf this week dressed up like a sheep? Yeah, yeah. They sound like a sheep. They smell like a sheep. They worship like a sheep. But the reality is, is that they're a wolf. And I told you how to identify them. You remember? I'm just doing a recap here. Y'all with me? Didn't want you to miss nothing. If a sheep, if a wolf is a sheep, you can identify them by understanding that they will prey on the weak. They will find your weak spot and they will prey on that weak spot. Isn't it interesting that they constantly show up in your weak moment? Wolf. That's what they do. You can discover that they're a wolf because they will divide and conquer. They will try to isolate you from the body. They will try to isolate you from everybody else. They will try to get your undivided attention. I see it all the time in the lives of teenagers. A young lady is living her life on fire from God and a wolf shows up. And he isolates her from what she was doing to stay close to God. It happens the other way too, by the way, because uh, there are ladies that are wolves too and they divide. Okay, just want to make sure we, you know, equal opportunity here. They divide us. They keep us from becoming everything that we're supposed to come. They, they run in packs. They don't come by themselves. They introduce other people to you that keep you in bondage. They fight for control. They howl and they bite. That's how you know they're a wolf. So I said to you that the only safe place is to run to the shepherd because the shepherd will protect you. How do we find the shepherd? He's always close to the sheep. And so I said you've got to run to the shepherd and you've got to run to the sheepfold because the shepherd has placed his body between us. He is the door. He's placed his body between us and the enemy of our soul. And so we must stay. So when you're the most hurt, when you're the most devastated, when you're the most destroyed, that's not the Sunday morning to sleep in. When you're in your greatest amount of pain, it's when you should be hanging around other sheep. And so I challenged you last week that I am looking for some Lambos. You know what a Lambo is? It's a sheep that knows how to fight. And so I'm asking you to learn how to do warfare for other sheep. So that when you see somebody walking here bruised and limping and devastated, something rises up in you and you go to war on their behalf. You're a Lambo. You can wear the headband if you want to. I don't care. So, I, you know, I just wish Jesus hadn't sent us into hard and dangerous and hazardous situations, don't you? 
I, I kind of wish that we could just coast. I, I, I don't understand why we can't live just a protected, a safe, a no-risk life. Why isn't it that we can just meet Jesus and relax, just sit on the couch and just go through life and never have any problems? And since, uh, since you know, he's coming back, we still believe that, right? He is coming back. So why doesn't he just let us coast through life and have no problems if we're guaranteed victory? He's already said that we have been designated as overcomers and that no weapon formed against us should prosper. If all that is true, and it is, then why should we have to continue to fight daily battles and daily skirmishes? Why? Why, why if, if we're the head and not the tail, and the, you know, and we're never going to be defeated and we're always victorious, then why do we need enemies? Why? I want to answer that for you, for you this morning. I need you to understand that God allows enemies to come into our life because they serve a purpose. In fact, like it or not, your enemy has a God-given purpose and plan in your life. In fact, we quote it, and I understand the context in which we quote it. I read it to you the first week out of Matthew. I don't like that passage of Scripture, and I told you that I would edit it. And I understand what Jesus said. He said that we should love our enemies. And I understand what he meant by that. By that. But this morning what I want to do is I want to kind of change the angle and tell you that you should love your enemy. In other words, you should be thankful for the fact that you have an enemy in your life. In fact, your homework assignment this week is to go find an enemy, whether that be a person, it'd be more fun if it's a person, but if it's a thing, that's all right too. But go find an enemy and walk up to them. Some of you haven't talked to your enemy in months, and that's, you know, that's just life, and that's how it goes. Go find your enemy, look them square in the eyes, and say thank you, and turn around and walk away. You will have a blast. They'll think you're nuts. Yeah, they already do. But now it's verifiable. They know you're nuts. Because we need to understand that we ought to be thankful that there are enemies placed in our life because that enemy works purpose in our life. And so we should have some enemy love. I want to read to you out of the Old Testament today a very, very, very familiar story. If you've ever been in children's church, if you ever went to vacation Bible school, you know this story, but I want to read it again to you fresh and new this morning, and I want to show you out of it some truths that we need to understand. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 4. It says, A giant, nearly ten feet tall, stepped out from the Philistine line into the open, Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was dressed in armor, 126 pounds of it. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. Verse 11. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and lost all hope. Ever faced an enemy that caused you to lose all hope? That's a dangerous place to live. Verse 20. David was up at the crack of dawn and having arranged for someone to tend his flock, took the food and was on his way just as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the army was moving into battle formation, shouting the war cry. 
And Israel and the Philistines moved into position, facing each other, battle ready. David left his bundles of food in the care of a sentry, and he ran to the troops who were deployed and greeted his brothers. And while they were talking together, the Philistine champion Goliath of Gath stepped out from the front lines of the Philistines and gave his usual challenge, and David heard him. The Israelites, to a man, fell back the moment they saw the giant totally frightened. The talk among the troops was, have you ever seen anything like this? This man openly and defiantly challenging Israel. The man who kills the giant will have it made. The king will give him a huge reward, offer his daughter as a bride, and give his entire family a free ride. David, who was talking to the men standing around him, asked, what's in it? I don't know why he had to ask this again. I guess he just wanted to make sure. What's in it for the man who kills that Philistine and gets rid of this ugly blot on Israel's honor? Who does he think he is anyway, this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God alive? They told him that what everyone was saying about what the king would do for the man who killed the Philistine. Verse 33, Saul answered David, you can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced, and he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. David said, I've been a shepherd, tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck, and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God alive. I love that. Some of you just need to go find your enemy and say, you, no, don't do that. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. And Saul said, go and God help you. Verse 45, David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops whom you curse and mock. This very day God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you. Cut off your head and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and the coyotes. David didn't tolerate enemies. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel and everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by the means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's handing you to us on a platter. You know the rest of the story. Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 6 through 9, and it says, As they returned home, after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes in playful frolic the women sang Saul kills by the thousand David by the ten thousand we should have enemy love why several lessons number one is this you need to understand that your enemy deepens your reliance on God that is the purpose, that is the plan, that is the destiny of your enemy. If you will see your enemy correctly and appreciate your enemy, you will understand that opposition, what it does in your own life when you face opposition is it, re it reveals every area of self-reliance in your life. 
David had faced a lion and a bear and now he faces this giant and he comes to this realization in his own life. These enemies cause him to wake up to the fact that if God doesn't fight this battle for me, I'm defeated and I'm devastated and I have no hope on my own. And so he came to a realization that I must rely on God. See, if you go back and you read the story of David's son Absalom, the Bible declares that Absalom was a rebellious son and he came to this conclusion in his own heart and life that I can be a king better than my dad. What my dad can do, I can do better. And he was rebellious and he goes out to destroy his own father. And what you do is when you begin to study the life of Absalom, you understand that Absalom had lived an unopposed life. Everything he wanted was handed to him on a silver platter. No one ever told him no. In fact, what we discover is that he seemed to be perfect physically. He was good looking. Don't you hate those kind of guys? He was athletic. Don't you hate those kind of guys? He was a stud. Don't you hate those kind of guys? He had influence. He had the ability to, to uh, woo people. He had perfect hair. Right there is enough to hate his guts forever. He was unopposed. He, Woody's back there showing me his perfect hair. Uh, he was unopposed. And what we discover is that because he had no enemy opposition, he missed the important lesson that David had learned as a young man. Absalom never learned it. And that is, is that you cannot rely on your looks. You cannot rely on your abilities. You cannot rely on your talent. You cannot rely on your physical strength. You cannot rely on anybody or anything but God. And your enemy reveals that to you. When you find people who have never faced an enemy bigger than them, you will find people who think they can make it on their own. Until or but because everything you say before the word but no longer matters. Because they think they can make it on their own until they face a drug addiction. Or until they face a depression. Or until they face a life-threatening disease. Or until they face an impossible situation. And then all of a sudden they understand that unless God is on our side, we can't make it on our own. Anybody been there before? I am there, my enemies. I have no issue relying on God. I have no issue standing before you this morning and, and saying that unless God shows up on Sunday morning, we have no hope. I have no issue to say that unless God sustains me throughout this week, I have no hope. I have no issue standing before you this morning and say that unless God works on my behalf, I can never make it on my own because my enemies have exposed the fact that I must rely on God. God sustains me. He teaches me. He guards me. So your enemy serves a purpose. It's supposed to make you rely on God. It's not supposed to make you rely on a counselor. It's not supposed to make you rely on your best friend. It's not supposed to make you rely on your spouse. It's not supposed to make you rely on your aunt. It's not supposed to make you rely on a drink. It's not supposed to make you rely on a drug. It's not supposed to make you rely on an activity or a habit. Your enemy has one purpose, and that is to cause you to rely completely, wholeheartedly, and with everything that's within you on God because he's the only one that can bring you out. Second, your enemy deepens your praise. Is it any wonder that David's uh, life is marked by deep praise? 
Is it any wonder that he could sit down and compose a whole song book called the Psalms full of rich and eloquent, deep worship and adoration for God? You think he was just so poetic that he didn't really live through anything? He just happened to be able to sit down and write that? No, the deepness, the richness comes from the fact that his whole life he was opposed. His enemies deepened his praise. Listen for the seedbed of his song found in Psalm chapter 41. Listen to what causes praise to come out of his mouth. He comes in at verse 5 and he says, My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? Whenever one comes to see me, he speaks falsely. While his heart gathers slander, then he goes out and spreads it abroad. All of my enemies whisper together against me. Ever been there? Mm, They imagine the worst for me. Anybody ever had an enemy that imagined the worst for you? They say a vile disease has beset him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my, man, this is how bad David had it. Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Had ever, ever, ever had anybody that you trusted turn on you? That's where David finds himself. That's the seedbed of his song. Because in comes back and he says this but you O lord have mercy on me raise me up that i may repay them i know that you are pleased with me for my enemy does not triumph over me in my integrity you uphold me and set me in your presence forever praise be to the lord the god of israel from everlasting to everlasting amen and amen. The seedbed of David's praise, the depth of David's praise was based on the opposition that he faced. I got news for you this morning. High praise is birthed in battle. Empty praise is founded in an effortless life. If you're going through hell right now, take hope in the fact that your praise on the other side is going to be more deep and more meaningful than any praise you've ever offered to God in the previous past. Because of what you're going through. See, those people who only praise when it's cool or when it's convenient haven't really faced an an enemy. Those people who only praise when the right song is sung or the right mood is set haven't stared into the eyes of opposition. Because an enemy forces you to learn how to praise when everything isn't okay. When everything isn't like you want it, that's when you learn to really praise. Though he slay me, slays me, praise is found in the middle of a battle, not on the beach. Not during the easy portions of life do you live and discern, discover and learn true deep praise. And everything is going to be all right. Praise isn't possible until you've battled through and everything has gone all wrong season. That's how you learn to praise deep so your dance on a good day doesn't really impress me it's the dance that you dance when you faced a dark day that is impressive your enemy strengthens and deepens your praise you're going through something right now praise facing a difficult situation i got a recipe for triumph praise has god changed no So is 
difficult and as heartbreaking and as devastating as your enemy may be coming against you right now, his worthiness remains the same, so my praise doesn't change. In fact, my praise deepens when I'm being attacked. The third thing that your enemy does and the reason you ought to love having an enemy is because your enemy promotes you. I never viewed an enemy like this. I just thought an enemy was designed to distract me, and they do. But I've come to a realization lately that your enemy will also promote you. Think about it. There were never any songs sung about David before he faced Goliath. He never had a fan club. That's what he had. The Bible says that as they're going back into the city, all the women, not just some of them, all of them. I know the guys are going, yeah, baby, give me that one. I like that one. All the women come out of their houses, stop doing what they're doing, and begin to sing songs about David. That never happened prior to facing his enemy. Your enemy promotes you. Isn't it interesting that every time it seems like that God wants to promote someone, he gives them an enemy. Moses was a fugitive. He was an outcast. He was unwanted and unknown until an enemy promotes him to be a deliverer. Gideon was unknown and unsure, and he was certainly unfollowed until he faced an enemy. Martin Luther was unknown, and he was accepted by his friends until... He faced an enemy. Abraham Lincoln lost his job, lost his bid for Senate, lost his bid for state legislature. His business failed. He had a nervous breakdown. He lost his bid for Congress. He lost his nomination for vice president. But in 1860, he faced the enemy of slavery and the divided country and a civil war. And suddenly, out of nowhere, his enemies promoted him. One month before the first shot was fired in the civil war, he was promoted. Mike Murdoch says this. He said, a friend encourages you. Your family humbles you. But your enemies promote you. You should love the presence of an enemy in your life because it must mean that God is about to promote you to a new season and a new level. I told you the first week, if you're facing the same old enemy, then you're probably stuck in the same old season. But as soon as a new enemy comes against you, it means that God is about to promote you to a new season and a new level and a new anointing. And so you ought to love the fact that you have an enemy in your life because that means God is trying to promote you. And then fourth, you should love your enemy because the size of your enemy determines the size of your reward. The size of the enemy that you're facing right now You've got to change your perspective. Some of you are facing unbelievable opposition and things that tragedies and circumstances and life is not turning out like you thought it was going to turn out and you're, you're starting to lose hope. But can I just shift it for one second and tell you that if you're facing a big giant, you ought to be awful happy right now because the size of your enemy gives an early indication of the size of your victory. Go back and learn from David. Why should we fight small battles? 
Why should we spend all of our time fighting for nothing? The Bible declares in the New Testament that a, a wise man counts the cost before you go into battle, before you draw enemy lines. You should recognize that I am going to count the cost and there are some battles out there that are not worth fighting. Our problem is, is that we get hung up on fighting battles that have no spoils. We waste all of our energy, all of our faith, all of our effort fighting things that don't really matter. I'm preaching right now. Some of you are hung up on stuff that have no loot, no spoils. There is no difference made in your life or anybody else's life. They have no kingdom impact at all. They have no destiny, no purpose, and you spend all of your time fighting over those things. Like in the churches I used to attend, uh, like uh, we want red carpet rather than purple carpet. What difference does it make? Is that really a battle worth spending your efforts on? You can laugh, but some of you in your daily lives are fighting that kind of battle. David teaches us that we got to count the cost. He took into account what he had heard. What did he hear? The men around him began to say this, the man who kills the giant will have it made. The king will give him a huge reward. He'll offer his daughter as a bride, and he will give his entire family a free ride. Do you know what a free ride meant? No taxes. That's a, I'll fight for that one. Wouldn't you? David hears that and he checks his information and he asks somebody else, what did he say? And when he discovers that, that there is a huge reward, he says, I'll fight that battle. I'm calling you to go back and look down on the enemies that you're facing and pick out the ones that you can see that they are a means to a great reward. Some of you are fighting for no spools. Turn your attention to fighting the enemies that will secure a reward. For instance, there are some battles worth risking everything for. Your kids, your spouse, your peace, your destiny. Those things are worth laying everything on the line for. But there are some battles that you need to quit facing and fighting because they have no spoils. If you're facing a huge enemy right now, change your perspective. It's not a nightmare. It's a bank account. It is deposited in that enemy. If it's a big enemy, deposited in that enemy is a huge reward. So fight. Next, you should love your enemy because your enemy reveals your strength. No one knew that David was a warrior until he faced a strong enough enemy to expose his strength. An unopposed life is a weak life. An unopposed faith is a weak faith. Resistance training makes you stronger. Anybody remember the old comic books? Um, I, I don't. Even, I guess they still do comic books. But there was this on the back of the comic books. There was this little poorly drawn strip called the ninety-seven pound weakling. Anybody ever buy bazooka gum? I used to buy that all the time. You remember it had a little comic strip? It was in there too. And it showed this little comic strip of this 97-pound weakling laying on the beach next to a real beautiful lady. And this Herculean man bodybuilder walks up and kicks sand in the face of the 97-pound weakling and takes his place by the beautiful woman. 
Y'all remember that? I look at the, the, t- the y'all college kids don't have a clue. I'm educating you right now. I sent in for that. that. Those were our infomercials, by the way, back then. I sent in for that. And what I received was I received in the mail a workout routine from Charles Atlas. Now, you don't know who Charles Atlas was either, but Charles Atlas was dubbed the world's most perfectly developed man. He achieved this body that he had, which was unbelievable, by using a method of training that he called dynamic tension. And as you can tell by the concealed weapons that I bring to church, my guns, every week I... I was faithful and consistent. <laughs> yeah, okay. The only exercise I remember is this. To build your bicep, you would hold your arm here and you would place your other arm on top and you would push against your own resistance. Dynamic tension. I think I got a defective kit. I don't know. But it taught us that the more resistance that we have, the stronger we get. And some of you need to understand that the tension that you feel in your life right now from your enemy is only revealing your strength. See, we've been told that God won't place more on us than we can bear. And then that must mean that if you're facing a big enemy right now, if you're facing the darkest night of your life, that God must trust you. And he's revealing your strength. George Mueller said this. He said, the only way to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. You show me somebody that has a big enemy and I'll show you a strong person. You show me that someone has ne- someone that has never faced anything, and I will show you someone that has no endurance, no prayer life, and no discipline. Because most of us, when we're left to our own devices, don't pray when everything is going all right. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me this morning. Your enemy reveals your strength. And so, the size of your enemy shows me who I can trust in battle. If the small enemy continues to defeat you year after year, I don't want to hang out with you. Uh, Come on, y'all need to do some evaluation in your own life. There are some people you don't need to hang out because they got no strength. But when I watch you defeat huge enemy and overcome uh, unbelievable circumstances and situation, you're the kind of people I want to hang out with because strength is contagious. And last... Your enemy reveals your purpose. When you find yourself being opposed, you are closing in on your destiny. Somebody hear me this morning. When when you find the fact that your enemy is rising up and resisting you, you are getting closer to your promised land and your purpose, and the closer you get, your enemy will fight you harder. A wise man gets more use from his enemy than a fool gets from his friends. 
If we will pay attention, our enemy will reveal our purpose in life. David's purpose was revealed as a warrior king because he faced enemies. Moses' purpose was revealed by the enemies he faced. His purpose as a deliverer was revealed when he squared off against the Egyptian who was mistreating the Israelite. In that moment, his purpose and his destiny was revealed by his enemy. If you sense more opposition in one area of your life, then you should take heart this morning. You should love your enemy because you're getting closer to your sweet spot. I found this to be true. As long as I was coasting through life, I, I didn't coast all the time in this role. When, we first, when I first became the National Youth Director, in the role that I fulfilled before this plant, in the beginning, there was opposition, but I weathered it, and I went through it, and I could coast. And then all of a sudden, we announced, after seven years, we're going to plant a church. Opposition everywhere. I had naysayers start writing me emails, we don't need another church in Oklahoma City. I had friends that wouldn't talk to me anymore. I had doubters and haters y'all know what a hater is right from everywhere nobody had called me and talked bad to me nobody had spread rumors about me nobody had sent me any emails nobody had doubted me as long as I was coasting but at the moment that I begin to fulfill my purpose and my destiny in life enemy everywhere and I knew I knew that we were closing in on our purpose. Thank you, enemies. You just revealed that I'm doing the right thing. Come on, some of you need to hear me this morning. The enemy's going crazy in your life right now, and he's devastating you, and he's fighting you tooth and nail, and you just wish you could get a break. Hang on, because what that means is that he is exposing you for who you really are. He's exposing your strength. He's exposing your purpose. He's de deepening your praise, and he's revealing that you've got to rely on God. And therefore, when you put all that together and you begin to rely on God, and you begin to praise, and you begin to get stronger, then Suddenly, out of nowhere, it seems like overnight, you close in on your destiny and your purpose. Just hang on. You ought to love your enemy. Just walk up to them, smack them. Not that kind of smack. Just, just plant a big old wet kiss right on their forehead and say, Thank you very much. And turn and walk away. Why? Because they have a purpose in your life. I want you to stand with me this morning. Enemies. I wish we could get away from them, but the truth is, is that if we could, we would never fulfill our purpose. You need to take some stock this morning of your life. Where are you being opposed? Is the enemy going crazy in your life? You have two options. One, you can lose all hope. And at the moment you lose hope, you're defeated. 
and your life is devastated and you will be further at that moment from God's purpose in your life than you've ever been before. Or you can be like David and when he saw the big enemy, the Bible, you need to go back and read it in the original languages because in the Bible it says he ran towards his enemy. See, we run away. And in so doing, guess what happens? We're exposed. The armor listed in Ephesians covers our front, doesn't cover our back. And at the moment that we turn and run away and give up and kick kick the bucket and throw it all in, we expose ourselves to our enemy. But if we would turn and say, you know what? I see you as a means to deepen my praise. And I see you as a means for reward. You're so big, there must be a big reward. I see you as a means of revealing my strength. I see you as the means for revealing my purpose and God's plan and God's destiny in my life. Then I'm not going to go away from you. I'm going to meet you head on. And you're not going to like the outcome. Because who can, who can defeat God? Take heart this morning. Would you raise a hand? Father, I pray over my people this morning. Some of them are facing giants. Some of them have enemies coming against them. It seems like at every turn, I pray that this morning you would develop in us enemy love. We would understand that you are using those means of opposition in our life to strengthen us, to deepen our prayer life, to deepen our reliance on you, to deepen our praise. There's going to be a praise that's going to erupt out of our innermost being, fine-tuned and honed by our enemies. So, Father, this morning, I thank you for opposition. That's a weird prayer, God. I thank you for the opposition that's making me stronger. So, Father, I pray that you would wake us up. Allow us to come to some realization. Open our eyes. Give us the discernment necessary so that we find that area that we're being attacked in and we recognize that it's you trying to reveal to us your plan and your purpose for our life. And I pray that we would quit running away from what we're called to destroy. And I pray that something, a shift would take place this morning in the lives of my people. And they would turn right now. And they would square off. And advance towards the enemy that they're facing. Not to get credit for them. And not to get glory for them. But to make a name for you and if there's one in this room that is right smack dab in the middle of a though he slay me moment I pray in the name of Jesus that they would hold on 
and that they would hang on and they would fight for their great reward. In Jesus' name. Would you do this with me? Would you turn to your neighbor right now and say, love your enemy. Come on, say it to him. Love, 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 love. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 